isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Alexandra Pope is a journalist and the editor-in-chief of Canadian Geographic. After starting her career reporting for weekly newspapers in rural Alberta, a lifelong interest in meteorology led her to the Weather Network, where she produced content for TV broadcasts and online, and served as social media lead. She joined Canadian Geographic in 2015 and was elected a Fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society in 2023. Alexandra is an enthusiastic promoter of travel within Canada and will happily tell you what that cloud means. Please welcome Alexandra Pope. Alexandra Pope, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. This is an honor. Thanks so much, Marianne. This is really cool. We met at Adam Schultz's talk at the Royal Canadian Geographical Society here in Ottawa. You were holding a camera and I was like, hey, you're holding a camera. Can you take Adam and I's picture not knowing who you were? (laughs) I like to be low key that way. (laughs) It was really funny. So I'm the editor in chief of Canadian Geographic, but I have also described myself in an email as the talks coordinator (laughs) because I wear many hats, including also being the event photographer for the talks that I coordinate. So just like any job in media, you do multiple things now. Yes. And, you know, this is really nonprofit life in a nutshell. (laughs) Everybody plays multiple roles. I think you told me when we were there that you're almost like the key person for that building. And if you don't live in Ottawa, I don't know if that's true. I don't remember what you said exactly. But if you don't know the building, it's very unique. It's right along the Ottawa River. It's a very, very cool building. I'm glad we met there. I'm glad that you were able to hold events there. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm the key person for the building, but I have spent a lot of time there over the last five years. So I've gotten to know the place quite well. And I think just because of the nature of my job and the magazine being probably the most visible representation of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, I get asked to give tours a lot when we have VIPs uh, visiting the building. So I've learned all of the lore of the building and the area and the historical significance of the three rivers that converge right below the property. So It's really fun. I love showing it off. I feel like you have a dream job for many nature-loving journalists. And what came first for you? Was it the love of nature and travel or journalism? Definitely the love of nature and travel. I think that was always a big part of my life growing up. My parents were both world travelers before they had me. I was their only child, so they spent a lot of time traveling with me as a family of three. And then when I was older and got into camping through the Girl Guides... Uh, Thank you, Girl Girl Guides of Canada. My mom actually got back into camping as a result of that and decided that when I was a preteen, I needed to see my country. And so we embarked on two subsequent annual road trips. The first summer, we went from our home in Mississauga to Calgary, camping all the way over three weeks, and then came back through the States. And then the following summer, we went out east as far as Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. And we, we camped again the whole way. And those were really formative experiences for me. It was amazing to see so much of Canada and all of the geographic diversity 
that exists in this country. And that really primed me to want to learn more. And at the same time, I was kind of realizing that I had some skills as a writer and that journalism might be a good career path for me. But it took me much longer to arrive at actually doing that. I remember I grew up in Southern Ontario, a little further down the 401. And I remember we used to go to Tobermory when I was a kid. And so when I was an adult, I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to go. And it still has that sentimental value for me. It's also a beautiful part of the province. What places do you love going back to from those drives, from those road trips that you're like, my heart is in blah, 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 Saskatchewan, or my heart is in blah, 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 New Brunswick, right? That's such a great question. And and actually, it is New Brunswick, um, specifically. Oh, Bay I nailed Park. it. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> specifically Fundy National Park. So that was one of our stops on that second road trip. I guess I was 12 going on 13. I was big into Anne of Green Gables. Uh, I loved going and like walking on the beach and hiding in the rocks and pretending that I was like this ethereal nature fairy, <laughs> writing in my journal, all the deep thoughts of my 12 year old self pretending I was Anne, but also it was just a beautiful place. <laughs> and Don't I ended up <laughs> sorry, I'm making some really wild disclosures here. <laughs> no, I'm obsessed with this so much right now. Okay, sorry, keep going. I was just that nerdy kid, right? I was an only child. I was a dreamer. I loved spending time alone in nature, just like thinking about myself, and, you know, what I was doing and being very self-conscious. Anyway, so I ended up going to New Brunswick for my undergrad. I went to the University of New Brunswick. And um, at that time, my parents were separated, uh, had been for a while. And my mom and I were super close. And there was nothing really keeping her in Mississauga. So she decided to move to Fredericton when I started university. And so she had a place across the river. I lived uh, just off campus in a, in a dormitory. But we hung out all the time. And Lots and lots of people came to visit us in New Brunswick those first couple of years, and we always took them to the Bay of Fundy. You know, we'd be like, this is a highlight of your visit. We're going to show you the Hopewell Rocks. We're going to go to the National Park. We're going to have takeout at Alma takeout or Fundy takeout in Alma. We're going to eat some lobster rolls and we're going to give you the New Brunswick experience. <laughs> and so Fundy just kind of became our place. And then just there's so many coincidences when you have a career like this. Right before the COVID-19 pandemic, I was invited on a press trip to Fundy National Park in the winter. So this is February of 2020. Um, I was very early in my pregnancy with my son. And I went and like you could feel that the change was coming, right? COVID was in the news. I wondered if I should even be traveling at that point because of my pregnancy. But I decided to go. And it was just the most beautiful full circle experience to be in the National Park, um, you know, pregnant with my first child at this very, like what would come to seem this very significant time in world history. And I wrote a story about that. That's probably my favorite thing I've ever written for the magazine after that experience. So can you send that to me? I'd love to put that in the show notes. Yeah, I will. For sure. I will. <laughs> I would love to know more about that. How many kids do you have now? Just one, just the one. Just one. You said, <laughs> okay. You said kid. Okay. You have a kid. What's their name? Uh, his name is Marcus and he is three and a half. How do you show Marcus nature? What is a three-year-old like? <laughs> he likes everything. I mean, he just loves being outdoors, which is amazing. But I think that I've worked very deliberately from the time he was born to, you know, foster in him a love of nature and a realization that there's space for whoever you are in the outdoors. He was a COVID baby. He was born in August of 2020. So we were kind of like slightly relaxed from the lockdowns, but 
you know, my birth experience and my immediate postpartum experience were very different from what I had imagined when I got pregnant before the pandemic. And we coped with that by getting outside. So even when he was a tiny little newborn, I would just spread a blanket out in our backyard and I'd lay with him under the big tree in our yard, looking up at the sky and talking to him about all the things I was seeing. And then as he grew bigger and and became more mobile, I would actually take him to the NCC hiking trails around Ottawa, put him on the ground and just let him crawl on the dirt and touch leaves. And I'd stop him from putting gross things in his mouth, but... (laughs) You know, (laughs) I adopted a philosophy of a little dirt never hurt and uh, that I could wash him. I could wash his clothes. And so it didn't matter if he rolled in the mud or, you know, crawled through puddles or whatever. We just made so many beautiful memories his first year outside because that was all there was to do. (laughs) How much are you channeling from your own parents and the experience they gave you into what you are channeling into Marcus? I mean, I think I've taken it even further. Like my parents love traveling, but I wouldn't say that either of them were particularly outdoorsy. Like my mom skied and camped in her youth. She was older when she had me. She was 39 when I was born. And so I think she kind of eased off on doing those things until I was old enough to really take part in them. And then she kind of had this renaissance where like she started skiing again. She started camping again and, you know, joked about how hard it was to sleep on the ground at age 50. <laughs> but she embraced it. And <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to give Marcus those experiences from a much younger age than I got into them. Switching gears a little bit, meteorology sounds like it was kind of like your first your first love, right? Is it something you keep up studying if you have time? Are you a blast at parties with small talk about the weather? so many questions. I've I've interviewed meteorologists before too, and and they're total nerds. So I'm assuming you're in the same in the same boat. Yeah, definitely. I mean, meteorology was an early passion of mine that grew out of a fear of storms, actually. And and my mom, who was a teacher, thought that if I learned about the science of how thunderstorms form, you know, the trajectory that they take what the signs are that they might produce a tornado, which was my ultimate fear. You know, she thought learning all of that would reduce my fears. And so she bought me all these books and they all had infographics and diagrams. And I just got way into the science of of thunderstorms particularly. And I I used to sit and watch the Weather Network for hours and and get to know the presenters and I could hum the theme music by heart. (laughs) Can you hum it now? (laughs) They've changed it several times. I mean, we're talking about the late 90s here when I was watching. And I ended up working there eventually. And I also heard that music in my dreams because it played every 10 minutes on the 10s (laughs) (laughs) in the newsroom. (laughs) But I, I realized when I was in high school that it wasn't going to work as a career path because I really struggled with math. I really struggled. um, And I just, it was all I could do just to get my basic credits in high school to graduate. And then I decided after grade 11, like I'm done with math. English is where it's at. I'm going to be a writer. So you know, to be a meteorologist, you really have to understand physics. And I probably know more now and could probably complete a basic course in it, but it's more of a passion. I just, I keep up with it casually. I still read the Weather Network app, look at all the stories that they're doing. I still tune in to the French version when I visit my mom. (laughs) Do you have uh, weather anxiety still? Less, but I would say sometimes, depending, because I know, I know what to look out for. And I found myself in some positions where I'm like, right, this is actually very risky. For instance, my mom and Marcus and I were driving home from Prince Edward Island last summer. We were on the final stretch on Highway 30 in Montreal. And I could see that we were heading into 
a massive thunderstorm. And we actually had a tornado warning pop up on my phone. And because I couldn't see anything up ahead, I said, we need to get off. We need to pull over because we don't know what's lying beyond that rain curtain. Like there could be a tornado in there. And that's not where you want to be on the highway when that's happening. So that was a tense situation because we were like, okay, we got to find an exit. We got to pull over safely. You know, my mom's like white knuckled on the steering wheel. (laughs) I'm trying to stay calm so that Marcus doesn't pick up on our tension. But generally, like if I'm just in my house and it's storming, I, I just embrace the, the beauty of listening to the thunder and the rain and or massive a snowstorm we had this past weekend in Ottawa too. Just absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, and you know, you know more about weather and nature than than most, but I find I even have more weather anxiety now because we have had tornadoes in Ottawa. Uh, there's all these, I'm putting in air quotes, freak weather events, right? So I'm I'm finding because I live alone, so I don't really have much of a backup. Like if there's a big weather event coming, I make sure like, you know, we had a big snowstorm. I made sure I had flashlights around and canned food and extra batteries. And I'm finding I'm becoming more and more prepared because, again, I live alone. So I don't have anyone else to rely on. And you have a kid. So I'm sure you feel the same way. But yeah, the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the fire events. And yeah, I feel people are maybe a little bit more conscious of it now than ever, right? Absolutely. And I think that's great. First of all, I think being prepared is always important. Um, And we kind of, the derecho that we had in Ottawa in 2022 really humbled me and was a wake up call for me because we lost power in our house for eight days. And that was really, really tough with a toddler trying to cook on the barbecue and find workarounds and like having to borrow a plug into our neighbor's generator just to keep our fridge cold and keep the washing machine going. It was like, wow, we really aren't prepared for an event of this magnitude. Like, yes, maybe 24 hours of power outage but certainly not a week plus. Now that was an exceptional event, but of course we know that exceptional events are becoming more and more frequent. So I relate to people who feel anxious about the weather. I I don't feel anxious about storms, but certainly other events that I've never experienced in my lifetime, like the smoke that we had this past summer, that weighed really heavily on my heart and made me worry about, you know, what summers are going to look like going forward. And whether it'll even be possible to enjoy the great art outdoors to the extent that I did when I was a child. I don't know how much you like winter sports, but like I'm skiing, cross-country skiing as much as possible because I don't know how much snow we're going to get in like 20 years, right? Like, no, I'm really trying to take advantage of it. Yeah. Definitely. Like I don't I don't want to be too doom and gloom, but like I definitely feel every time I take a picture of my son and I playing in the snow that it, it feels a bit like last chance tourism in a way. Like I want to have these memories to show him when he's an adult, like, look, there was snow when you were a baby. And like, here's you sliding down a snow pile. And here's you snowshoeing for the first time. And I don't know how hopefully we'll continue doing these things for many years. But it's hard to know what each year will bring. The seasons are very unpredictable now. We all love a quick weekend getaway, especially when you can connect to nature. And I go to the Adirondacks in upstate New York a lot. It's just a quick three to four hour drive from Ottawa, and it feels like a home away from home at this point. I just discovered my favorite new place to stay. It's called New Vita Preserve, and it already feels like home to me. It's this beautiful old ski lodge transformed into a full service resort, and it's only a few minutes away from Whiteface Mountain. 
You have close access to everything the mountains have to offer, but right on their property, they have over 56 kilometers of private trails for guests to hike, bike, climb, and alpine tour. Their food is, oh my gosh, so good, including a bistro restaurant, a super cool bar decorated with old skis, small plates, they have brunch, and live music to give it a really cool feel. Plus, they have wellness classes, massages, and are ever-expanding their list of amenities. If you love playing outside, eating, a cozy place to sleep, surrounded by nature, and just really good people, I can't recommend New Vita Preserve enough. Check out newvitapreserve.com to find out more. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Let's take this outside now has a newsletter. Keep up to date with outdoor news, events, and great discount codes and deals from our partners. Sign up today at letstakethisoutside.ca. Sorry for bringing this down such a dark path. Uh, I'm sure you love it, Alex. But I want to go back to Canadian Geographic. You mentioned you worked at the Weather the Weather Network or the Weather Channel? Weather Network. Weather Network. When you joined Canadian Geographic, though, what was your first job there? And how did you work your way up to editor-in-chief? <laughs> sure. So I started as the social media editor because that was what I had been doing for the Weather Network. So just to give you the, the quick highlights, I joined the Weather Network in 2011 as a staff writer. I was working on call super weird hours and writing content for the website and writing scripts for the on-air presenters when, when necessary. But around that time, Facebook and, and Twitter were really taking off. And so we, just as reporters in the newsroom, started leveraging those tools to break weather news and to also disseminate public warnings. And we heard a lot of feedback, especially after a tornado hit Goderich, Ontario in 2011, that people really appreciated having access to that information on Twitter and Facebook. And so the Weather Network decided at that time to create a formal social media position um, to better strategize and plan how we were going to leverage these platforms to share important weather news. And so I was the first person to hold that role. I held it until 2015 when I moved to Canadian Geographic. And it was it was fun. You know, it was a lot of like memes and, and silly, relatable weather jokes in between some very serious reporting and a job that I took quite seriously as, as a public safety measure. So I started as social media editor at CanGeo and then through vacancies and people leaving, I've sort of risen through the ranks. <laughs> I became digital editor in 2017 and then editor in chief in 2022. If people don't, you know, don't know the media world very much, editor in chief, you know, people know that that phrase, but what exactly does that mean? You're you're pretty much the person in charge of putting the magazine together and making sure that it, it all makes sense and flows, right? Like that's my understanding. I mean, I don't know much about print. I'm more of a broadcast person, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess to make it simple is I'm I'm sort of the big picture thinker. So I own the overall content strategy for the magazine and the websites. 
and to a lesser extent, social media. That's a different department, but obviously we work very closely together on marketing what we're doing in the magazine. Uh, but then I have a team of editors who actually do most of the production and the editing and the assigning. So I'm I'm really big picture. I'm liaising with senior management, um, repping the brand as an ambassador wherever I go, coordinating talks, bringing people into the building, talking about what we do, and just generally, you know, making sure that our brand as Canadian Geographic stays strong, healthy, relevant, that we have a good sense of what we want to do and where we're headed. As a kid, along with many other millennials, I love getting Canadian Geographic ma- magazine and I'm sure you were also one of them. Tell me what Canadian Geographic looks like now and the important work behind it along with the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, because clearly they're linked because you work for both of them. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to make a shocking confession, but I didn't actually read Canadian Geographic growing up. I know, I know, I know. My parents, my parents still get it. So when I go home, I like, I read it. Okay, sorry, that's amazing though. Okay, I know, shocking, right? (laughs) But I, you know, since working here, I've gone back in the archives because I was curious about what it looked like in the '80s, in the '90s, in the 2000s, and I think just overall, our mandate uh, and the types of stories that we cover have broadened significantly. I think. In the early days, we really were a geography publication and we were just sort of slightly less academic than like a a journal. It it actually used to be called the Canadian Geographical Journal until the late 70s. And then it became Canadian Geographic. I would say now we really are more of a magazine. We're a general interest publication. We cover all kinds of stories. Some of them, you know, you could say like, what, is this really a geographical story? But we take the approach that geography can be anything because geography is everything. (laughs) Right. Geography is nature. Geography is a lot of things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just, I mean, it's maps. That is one of the big things that sets us apart from other magazines is that we have a cartographer on staff and we do a map for almost every story that we publish. And it's entirely original, entirely ideated by the team in conjunction with the cartographer. But geography isn't just lines on a map. It's population demographics, it's social movements, it's geopolitics, it's wildlife, as you said, it's landscapes, it's climate change. And so we've dived into all of these things since I've been editor-in-chief and since I've been with the publication generally. But it's really exciting because it's always different. How did you get elected to be a fellow? And also, what is a fellow? Okay, so here's where I have to explain the RCGS versus CanGeo. So The Royal Canadian Geographical Society is an educational nonprofit with a broad mandate to make Canada better known to Canadians and to the world. Uh, And they do that through two major means. One is the magazine, Canadian Geographic Magazine, and one is an education program called Canadian Geographic Education. And that's classroom focused. So that team produces educational resources for distribution for free to Canadian classrooms. It's an amazing program. They do incredible work. Their resources are so in demand, especially our giant floor map program. And then Canadian Geographic is the magazine. It's sold on newsstands and also through a subscription service. Fellows of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society are people who have contributed or continue to contribute to that mandate in some significant way. And they come from all walks of life, all career backgrounds. Some of them are philanthropists. Some are, you know, hardcore geographers, geologists, geophysicists. Some are wildlife photographers, some are filmmakers, some are activists, some are, we even have chefs in the mix who use entirely sustainable seafood, for instance. 
um, and who have been really big voices in changing the way we eat. So fellows are a really diverse group. They're from all over Canada. Some actually are international as well. And they're elected by their colleagues in the College of Fellows. So only a fellow can nominate a fellow. And nominations are open every year. They close, I don't quote me on this, I think it's September they close, and then the committee deliberates about who they're going to actually uh, recommend for election. And then the fellows vote on those new fellows at our AGM, which takes place in November. So I was nominated last year by David McGuffin, the host of our podcast. Yes, I love David. <laughs> I had him on. He's, he's so cool. Yeah, he's he's the greatest. So he nominated me and also one of our board members, Janice Pelishok, nominated me. And I was incredibly grateful and incredibly humbled because, well, I'm, it's just honestly a privilege to do this job. And I love showing up here every day and telling stories. And so being a fellow is just like a cherry on top. <laughs> I can tell you love it and you deserve every bit of it. So where are some of the coolest places that you've traveled because of your job? Oh, wow. How do I choose? <laughs> I've had really cool opportunities through this job, not just as editor in chief, actually. I think one of the most amazing experiences I've had since being with Cangio generally was going to France in 2017 for the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. So Canadian Geographic Education had developed a suite of resources, including two giant floor maps, one of the Vimy Trench system and one of the Western Front entirely. Uh, and they were invited to bring those resources to Arras in France, which is near to the Vimy Monument, and do a two-day showcase for high school students that were traveling through the battlefields of Western Europe, uh, learning about the First World War. And so EF Tours had staged this whole showcase in Arras, and we had our maps there, um, we had educators there, and I was covering it for the magazine. And it was just, it was an incredible couple of days. We met so many amazing youth who had family stories to share about their ancestors' involvement in the war. We were at the, the Bimmy Monument for the 100th anniversary ceremonies. It was incredibly moving. It was just a really unique time to, to be there and a unique reason to be there. And then, of course, after all the work was done, we had a day to go to Paris, which was just so much fun. And we spent the day, we must have walked like 12 kilometers all around Paris, saw all the major sites. Um, so that was that was really amazing. And it really showed me the power of cartography to engage students. So that was, yeah. I'm not trying to start any beef, but who are some of the most impressive explorers at Canadian Geographic? Because I'm slowly working my way for interviews through them. So I've done Ray Zahab, well, David McGuffin hosts the, the podcast, George Karunas, Jill Heinerth, who the episode's coming out very shortly, and it'll come out before this comes out. And she, like, okay, quick story about Jill Heinerth. Um, I told my, my cousin, who was a big scuba diver, and he's like, she's the best scuba diver in the world. I'm like, I knew she was amazing, but I didn't know that that anyway so you have like amazing explorers but my my question was who are you most impressed with <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh how do I choose how do I choose they're all so incredible <laughs> you can okay just pick a maybe a couple you've had some really good interactions with or, or like really good stories well I mean I love Jill like Jill is just she's so incredible anytime we ask her for help with anything the answer is always yes except if she's like immersed in a huge project but like nine times out of 10, she's like, sure, what do you need? Is it photography? Do you need me to help co-write an exhibit? Like she literally did that last summer for pressure. <laughs> 
Yeah. So she's amazing. And her story is so incredible and so inspiring for girls and young women who may you know, want to do big things and explore really extreme places, but think, ah, I can't do that. So everyone should know more about Jill Heinerth. And you know, it's funny, like George Karunas and I, I knew George when I worked at the Weather Network. And so coming to the RCGS <gasps> and, and covering cool. his as an explorer in residence was really cool because I was starstruck by him back in his angry planet days. Like he'd come into the Weather Network offices and it was like, oh my God, George Karunas is here. <laughs> <laughs> and so to actually, you know, get to know him as, as kind of a colleague has been really amazing. And yeah, he's a really cool guy also doing a lot to educate young people about weather and climate processes and natural processes. So, And a great storyteller too. A great storyteller and so dynamic. Like just, he's, an ex- he's exciting to listen to. <laughs> I know you do the trips. I kind of almost want to join one just because George was so cool. I was like, I almost want to join one that he's on <laughs> just to hang oh, out. You should. You should. I've, I've never gotten to travel with any of our explorers and residents, but everything I hear is that it's just, it's such an incredible experience and they really add so much, even just in terms of conversation around the dinner table or the campfire or whatever experience you happen to be having, because they really have just lived such full lives and they've done incredible things, all of them. But this is, you know, another great joy of my job is just getting to meet these people and hear their incredible stories and share them. So my favorite part is that they all think that each one is cooler than them. They all think like, <laughs> Like, oh, I would never do that. Like, Jill Heinert's like, I would never do what Ray Zahab does. And Ray Zahab would be like, I'd never do what Jill Heinert does, right? Yeah. Ray Zahab blows my mind. I mean, that guy is, his story is so incredible. And the things that he does, like, I'm a casual runner. I'm slow. I've never done more than a 10K. (laughs) But (laughs) Ray actually gave me running advice after I had my son. So I'll always appreciate (laughs) (laughs) it. He's so cool. Where is your next adventure? You answered this before the podcast, but I'd rather you say it out loud. Yeah. So actually this Thursday, I'm off to Yellowknife, which will be the first time that I've been to Yellowknife. And it's another tick off my Canadian bucket list. Uh, And I'm going to be doing some Aurora Borealis viewing experiences, which I'll be sharing online uh, a few days after the trip. So stay tuned. I know. I'm just really, really hoping that we see them because we've only got three nights to see them. <laughs> so, Very small window. Good, like Aurora Borealis, good vibes. <laughs> Alex, having someone as passionate as you as editor-in-chief, it, like it just lights a fire in my belly that these kind of people that I'm guessing you're a millennial. I am. Yes, an elder millennial, I would say. <laughs> getting there too. I love seeing other millennials and I say young, we're young people just absolutely crushing it in a world like this and people who genuinely care about nature and sharing education. So thank you for everything that you do. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I'm it's honestly like I, I feel imposter syndrome sometimes. I definitely struggle with that as someone, you know, who's worked my way up just and kind of almost stumbled into these positions just by being in the right place at the right time. (laughs) But I'm sure there's something else going on. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) You clearly know what you're talking about, Um, even though you didn't read Canadian Geographic as a child. I don't think you have a boss, but if you had a boss, I would have emailed them already. (laughs) I know. I hope he's not listening. Sorry, John. (laughs) (laughs) Let's forget everything you've done for the magazine this many years. I I read that other yellow geography magazine, you know. (laughs) 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 Alex, thank you so much for joining me. And I really hope this is not the last time that we interact because you are the coolest. So 
<laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.